What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Premier League podcast here on FanRag Sports. My name is Sebastian Noren. With me is Elliot Niblock. We are polyless today, but despite that, we will we will carry on. We'll get a short little mobile from Pauly later on in the show regarding the United States men's national team and their upcoming friendly against Portugal. But most of the show today will be regarding the World Cup qualifiers in Europe as we're going on or going into the playoffs here now. We actually have two games being played right as we record. And um, then we'll also touch a little bit upon Honduras against Australia in that inter-confederation playoff match as well. Elliot, how disappointed are you that we're at this stage of the World Cup qualifiers and the U.S. are already nowhere to be seen? They are knocked out. They will not be going to the World Cup in Russia next summer. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm I'm still gutted by it. But in this particular moment, as we're on the eve of this final round of World Cup qualifiers, I'm not quite as upset as I thought I'd be, right? Like, just because the United States has historically not been having to play these do-or-die knockout games. Now, of course, I would rather have the opportunity to play in those knockout games and not be in them. But I'm, you know, I'm not accustomed to early November U.S. Men's National Team World Cup qualifiers. So it doesn't feel like I'm missing out on something. Now, talk to me next June, and I will probably be somewhere between furious and drowning in whiskey during the World Cup. So but for the time being, it's, eh, whatever. Yeah, so without delving too deep into your gene pool, where is your heritage at? Is it... uh, Scottish, German, and English. Okay, so you got a couple of nations to choose from there. Yeah, but also my family's been in the United States for a long time. Like I'm on mom's side. I'm actually related to uh, William Clark of Lewis and Clark, the Explorers. Mm. So it's been 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 uh, on this continent for a long time. Although actually on my mom's side, Germany, you know, she her grandmother was born in Germany. So I mean, Germany is the the team that I'll uh, I'll be supporting in the World Cup. I was four years ago, but. That was partially because I was in Germany when they won, so that was that was quite the pandemonium. I was going to say that's not a bad spot to be. No, but I ended up in a hospital at the end of the night. So, oh that, well, that's not a good spot. Well, yeah, I jumped. I, it's uh, I jumped out of a tree, and there was a bicycle locked to the tree, and I did not see that bicycle, and then I ended up with some stitches in my face. Mm, but that, yeah. the next day, I was far from the worst for wear of the people I saw on the street. There was one guy who his face was swelled up like uh, almost to a cartoonish size. Like he looked like he was on the Simpsons. Mm. Yep. Sometimes the celebrations can get a bit out of hand. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a tournament that comes around once every four years and it's one that, you know, if, if your team wins it, you, you can't be sure that you'll ever witness that again in your lifetime. So Oh, that is so, so true. And I mean, that's why I'm fortunate enough that one of my earliest memories from soccer was the World Cup of 94 that was in the United States, where Sweden had an incredible run and they had ended up finishing third, which Mm -hmm. for such a small country is quite the amazing feat. And it's something something that still is being recognized. It's like, oh, you know... It's the 15-year anniversary or it's the 20-year anniversary. And 
I mean, those players that were in that side are forever, you know, they have a spot. Yeah, in, they're enshrined. In, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean. Well, and the funny thing is about the World Cup is that the third place game is, I mean, in, in most tournaments, the third place game is kind of meh, but it's the freaking World Cup. Yeah. So, A, obviously it's bigger in and of itself, but also on top of that, it's it's almost, in hindsight at least, certainly, it's almost nicer to finish third than second, right? Because you have the heartbreaking experience of losing in the final versus, well, you had a good run and then you got knocked off in the semifinals and, hey, you won your consolation prize game, so you still finish on a high note. Exactly. You finish off the tournament with a win, which is always nice. Um, So right now we got two games going on in the European World Cup qualifiers. They're in the playoff round here now. We got Switzerland playing on the road against Northern Ireland. The Swiss are up one nothing in that game, and we're in the 80th minute now. And it was a goal on a penalty by Ricardo Rodriguez. <laughs> that very Swiss-sounding name. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, we'll see if the Swiss can hold out there. In the other game, it's been quite, <laughs> quite, quite the fireworks. Croatia up four to one at home over Greece. So this one is definitely going to be over after the first leg if this three-goal cushion stands for their Croatians because I don't see Greece scoring three goals at home. No. No, I mean, Croatia are a good team, right? And I I think that since he's left the Premier League, it's kind of – and especially because the squad that he's on is surrounded by such megastars that sometimes it's easy to forget just how good a number 10 Luka Modric is. Right. I mean, he's, you know, he's since been certainly overshadowed monstrously by Gareth Bale in terms of former Spurs heading to the Bernabeu and Real Madrid. But he's he's still a fantastic player. And this Croatian team between him and Ivan Rakitic, I mean, they've, they've got a solid core in midfield. And I, you know, we'll see what the draw is like. But depending on their draw, I reckon they've got a decent chance to at least not only make it out of the group but potentially go kind of be a dark horse and progress pretty far in this tournament yeah and then they also have marcelo brosovic uh play for inter in Serie A. I mean they have some really talented players they they might not have that super pure goal scorer i know they started nikola kalicnic kalicnic mm-hmm. ah whatever um <laughs> They started him, and you know he, he's okay, but it's he's no Davor Sukar, that's for sure. So yeah, Croatia, well on their way here. Tomorrow we got one game. That's Sweden, my Sweden against Italy at the Friends Arena in Stockholm. It's called the Friends Arena. Yes, sponsorship. Oh, that's so, that's it's sponsorship so... thing, you know. Wait, wh- who are who are the friends? I. <laughs> Don't ask me. I don't know. <laughs> so, the, but, but this is this is like a corporation called Friends that sponsored the arena, right? Uh, it's like see. the Emirates. Uh, let me see here. Friends <laughs> Arena. Blah 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 blah. Uh, why is it called Friends Arena? That's because it seems to me just like uh, you let's know. See. Friends is a nonprofit organization against school bullying. Oh, yep. Oh, that's nice. Yep, and it's um, it was originally supposed to be known as Swedbank Arena. Swedbank, it's a Swedish bank, of course. That's the name yeah. 
uh, says, but they uh, said it would donate the naming rights to friends. Oh, so that's uh, that's kind of lovely, actually. I mean, it's also a huge tax write-off, but whatever. I mean, they <laughs> can't they, be cynical all the time. Yeah, Swedbank. I mean, they paid. We'll get some his, history lesson here. They paid uh, roughly twenty point five million euros uh, for the naming rights until twenty twenty three, and then and this was back in twenty twelve. Yeah, twenty twelve, uh, and then they said they would donate the name to friends. So that's why it's Friends Arena. And yeah, interesting uh interesting little uh trivial factoid there yes. for you. <laughs> it's a UEFA Category 4 stadium. It held the uh Europa League final last season where Manchester United won. So there you have it. Uh yeah, anyway, so, to what's to the game that yes. will be played on the pitch itself. To the game that will be played on the pitch. I mean, obviously Italy is the big favorite in this matchup. You know, Italy had the unfortunate, you know, draw in the group stages where they just had a very good team in their group. So you can't expect them to beat Spain for that first spot, really. Yeah, I I agree. But I mean, but do you do you think that? Well, how if you're managing Sweden, how are you approaching this first leg, right? Because you're you're playing at home. Do you think that they're just going to kind of turtle and? Or are they going to go for it in front of the Stockholm supporters? Well, I th- I think that their best, even if they would be playing on the road, their best setup is playing on the counter. Yeah. Like that's where they're going to be at their best against better sides. Because there's no question about it. Italy, they're a better side. So be very strict in defense and then see if you can hit them on the counter. If not, a scoreless draw wouldn't be the end of the world. But first yeah. and foremost, you yeah you gotta you gotta focus on the defensive side of things first, and then see if an opportunity arises on a set piece or on a counterattack. Because if you're gonna try and boss this game around, no, that's not gonna happen. Italy, they're too good. The 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 technical level, the gap between the two sides is pretty big. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see because Italy are gonna be without. Uh... Zero Immobile, you know, I know that you were just talking about the potential lack of a really ruthless goal scorer for Croatia up front, but I I see some similarities with this Italian squad because they're really strong in midfield, but especially without Immobile, you know, I mean, you can make the argument that their their midfielders are good enough going forward that they can probably... <laughs> Speaking of Spain, maybe pull a Spain and be able to produce goals without a central striker. But yeah, you still have. I mean, Eder he played well against Sweden when they met in yeah. the European Championship. Uh, Gabidaini still, you know, decent striking yeah. option too. So I, I still hold Italy as a big, big favorite here. And if yeah. if they can get away with a draw, I think that would be good for Sweden, and then see what they can do on the in the return leg. Did you uh, did you see what Daniele De Rossi uh, commented about Zlatan in the build up to this match? Uh, no, I did not. Well, it was that you know he was being asked about playing against Sweden and you know what he thought about the team without uh, Ibra in it, and you know of course he was wasn't not he's he's a veteran. He's not about to just totally slag off the opposition. Uh, in the build-up to the game, but in terms of playing without Ibrahimovic, he said, quote, I never want to play against him a- again. 
Not even if he was 40 with a broken leg. Yep. <laughs> uh, Zlatan is Zlatan. Yeah, he is. And I mean, he, he was very successful in Italy under many, many years too. So he is sort of an icon there, even though he, <laughs> he did end up playing for a couple more teams than he should have. Playing for yeah. both Juventus, Inter, and Milan. So, But yeah, I mean, phenomenal player. That, that's yeah. all I can say about that. Then on Saturday... Uh, wrapping things up for Europe, we have our neighbors to the south, Denmark. I mean, from Sweden, neighbors to the south, Den- <laughs> yeah. Denmark taking on Ireland. And fairly, I would say this is a fairly even matchup. Yeah, it's the, it's a really tough one to call, uh, to be quite honest. We'll see. Is the greatest striker to ever live going to gonna be starting for the danes i mean he he should because he's the greatest striker that ever lived lord bentner lord bentner yeah i mean he's been having a i think he's been having a pretty good uh yeah he's got 18 goals uh, in 27 games for rosenborg in the norwegian league so he good good for you yeah he's found his mojo he's got his mojo again they got christian erickson of course from spurs that we all know uh, Andreas Christensen, who's been playing well for Chelsea. So if the day and then Casper Schmeichel, of course, in net. So if they can get a good result here at home in the first leg, you know, the Irish, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But yeah. I, w- I would, I would, I think I would have Denmark as a slight, slight favorite in this one. Yeah. But it, it will be interesting. That's for sure. We're going to take our break here. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about that inter-confederation playoff between Honduras and Australia, a game where the U.S. could have been, should have been, but they are not. So stick around. Okay, and we're back also on Friday. We got Honduras taking on Australia in the inter-confederation playoff game between Asia and CONCACAF. And... Um, yeah, I mean, this is a game where the U.S. could have been. They they mucked it up. That, that's a nice way of saying it. They mucked it up. Yeah. They missed out on even playing in this game where the fourth-placed team or nation in the CONCACAF qualifiers ended up, and that was Honduras. And how do you think they'll fare against Australia? We'll see. Um, I mean, Australia with... The the ageless Tim Cahill still playing for the Socceroos, uh, though I don't I don't know if he's going to start. I would I I wouldn't be surprised uh, if he ended up coming off the bench. But but well I I I really don't know. Gosh, you know I said you asked me earlier in the show if I if I was really upset coming into these qualifiers with the u.s not in them and the more we talk about it the more upset i get to be honest uh but yeah it's it's hard right because to like the analogy from uh from college sports for example is that frequently even if your team loses you often cheer for the teams from your conference from the big 10 the sec the pack whatever but it's a little harder for me to be cheering for Honduras, though I will. I will, um, given that they usurped the United States place. But again, we you know we've said this on this podcast before. The U.S. could have been, should have been, but ultimately didn't deserve to be in this game. So you you gotta you gotta hand it to 
to Honduras, and I, I do hope that they represent CONCACAF well. I mean, I, I, I would like to have another CONCACAF team in it. Um, but that travel to Australia is going to be brutal for the second leg. Mm. So I, I think that, you know, Paulie is the one who made this argument a few weeks ago uh, in terms of this, that Honduras are really lucky that they're playing first because it doesn't matter that, you know, that home field advantage, a lot of that is deleted in the fact that they have to fly literally on the other side of the world, the, the Australian team from Australia to Central America, and then back to Australia in the span of less than a week, yeah. right? Yeah, so, I, mean, and be, I mean, if you look at Cahill, though, you know, he he um, had a very... He was on the bench for the whole first leg against Syria, and then he came in and won the game for them, basically, in the second leg. He had two goals, yeah. one in regular time and then one in extra time, and Australia moved on 3-2 on aggregate. Yeah, I, I've got to say, though, the fact that Syria pushed them that much tells me that they're still somewhat vulnerable, right? Like, And again, credit to, as I said, the ageless Cahill, but especially given that added travel disadvantage for Australia, I mean, in the first leg at least, I think you've got to, you've got to take Honduras at home in this one. Um, and if Australia can get... As much as a draw, then I think that they'll be happy to take that back to Melbourne or Sydney or wherever they end up playing it. I mean, yeah, Australia, they, they don't have the name recognition anymore. I mean, I, w I would say that, you know, off the top of my head from their last game against Syria. Yeah, I know about Matt Ryan. I know about Robbie Cruz. I know about Tom Rogic and I know about Cahill and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not the, the soccer ruse have never been the, uh, uh, the class of world football by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, it's good. I mean, I think that, you know, we all, you said it before earlier that really the premier matchup for these qualifiers is going to be Sweden, Italy without a doubt. But I mean, this will be interesting. And I'm, I, I have to admit, you know, as as I've changed my tune even slightly over the course of the last twenty minutes in this episode, uh, it, it I'm planning on watching it and cheering for Honduras, but it might be hard for me. It might be one of those moments where it's just like seeing an ex girlfriend with a new spouse, and you're just like, I can't can't deal with it. I'm just gonna just gonna leave the bar, walk home, and not pay attention to the game. Yeah, so but, that's. That game kicks off at 5 p.m. tomorrow, Friday. And then for the return leg, that's on the 15th, uh, Wednesday. It's at 4 a.m. Oh, God. <laughs> and all these times are Eastern, I should say, too. So yeah. if you're on the West Coast, it would be 1 a.m., which eh, wouldn't be too bad. You'd just stay up. Yeah. That would almost be easier. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I, the, the latest that I've ever stayed up to watch a football match was the FA Cup final when I was in Tokyo uh, this past year. But I mean, obviously not only because Arsenal won in dramatic fashion, that was a lot of fun, but also some, something about a kickoff at like 1 a.m. I think it was seems slightly more civilized than 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So we should say that that Swiss, Swiss, Switzerland, Northern Ireland game, that's over. 
it ended one nothing for the Swiss. So they will take that win with them back home. And then we're in stoppage time between Croatia and Greece. It's still 4-1. to So I'm assuming that's going to be over any second here. And uh, we're going to switch focus and look at the U.S. men's national team as they play a friendly against Portugal. And that's on... No, I don't want to say the wrong day. <laughs> Tuesday. It's on Tuesday. It's on Tuesday. <laughs> yes, it's on Tuesday. And we're going to take... A uh, couple of minutes here and listen to Pauly about what he had to say about this. We'll obviously talk more about this on Monday, but here's Pauly's two cents, and then we'll come back and discuss what he said. So listen up. Hey guys, it's Pauly, and we get ready for the first round of the playoffs in the UEFA World Cup qualifying, and then of course the totally meaningless U.S. men's national team friendly on. Tuesday against Portugal, where they released a roster filled with young kids in Europe. Uh, I'll be the first one to tell you how not important this game is and how meaningless it is, but I wouldn't have to stay on brand, so here comes a whole bunch of nitpicking. Juan Agadello, what the hell is he doing on this team? He ain't young anymore. We're not making him a thing. The guy has never scored even 10 goals in a league season before. Like, are we really thinking he's going to become a thing now? Your chance is done, Juan. You didn't make it back then. You're not going to make it now. There's no reason we should be giving you the playing time instead of someone like Josh Sargent. All right, Dom Dwyer, CJ Sapong, you want veteran guys to see if they can be, I guess maybe their ultimate role would be, can they come off the bench and score goals? I think right now you just give the playing time to Josh Sargent. He'll be 22 years old at the, uh, at the next World Cup that the U.S. can play in. Just give him the experience now. As far as how unimportant this game is, you're right, it's not important. But I do think that just for the next year, until like next September or October, pick a core of players and just pick them in every single game. You know, the Weston McKinney's, the Josh Sargent's, the Cameron Carter Vickers. This way, it doesn't matter who the new manager is. When the new manager comes in and he wants to assert a certain style, maybe that style is different. But at least there's familiarity amongst the players. I'm not sure if we touched on this in the last show. I'm upset Christian Pulisic isn't on the roster. The game's not important. We don't need him there. No kidding. But we've always talked about this. There's one thing between seeing how players are, if players are good or not. There's another to see if they play well with someone else. We know Christian Pulisic is going to be on the field in a central position for every competitive game that we have. Now we need to figure out who can play with him. It's not just enough if you're good. It's enough for who can play with him. So it is a bummer that he's not there. I understand why. He has a, a bigger workload than everybody else. May as well give him a break. The rest of the roster, I don't really have problems with. I love the fact that Ali Bedoya is there to provide that veteran presence. In fact, I wish Jeff Cameron were there. I don't want Jeff Cameron on the field. I hope we go with a back three with Cameron Carter-Vickers, Matt Miazga, and John Brooks. But I think it would be invaluable for those young guys to have someone like Jeff Cameron in camp. So... It's not perfect, but it's nitpicking, and that's what I do best. Okay, so Elliot, you've heard what Paulie said here about the squad and everything for the United States upcoming game against Portugal. And yeah, there's no Christian Pulisic, and I understand that Paulie wants him to be there and for the other to see how these new players that come in play with him. But at the same time, I feel like you have enough time for that. This one friendly doesn't matter at all. This could be the most meaningless game they play in a long time. Yeah. I mean, and 
I'm I'm kind of of two minds. In in theory, I 100% agree with Polly that you need to. I mean, like, I it's it's not hyperbole, and I I used this exact phrase uh, just the other day that it was. I mean, it's the greatest failure. Maybe great is the wrong way to put it. The largest, the worst, the most catastrophic failure in the history of the program, right? In U.S. men's soccer history, and and so really, the rebuilding. You want to say the rebuilding has to start immediately, and I think that a lot of the problems with U.S. soccer, which are not going to change with Sunil Gulati as the president of U.S. soccer, are bespoken from kind of the complacency right it, so yeah i christian pulisic needs to be in the squad moving forward in order to build the team around him but the at the same time yeah, yeah but this is just kind of a throwaway make some money game in many in many respects so while i agree with paulie that moving forward you really need to have him in the squad i also feel like it's Somewhat fair to let some senior players just say, you know, I'm calling him a senior player. He's 19. Yes. <laughs> Key players, I should say. You know, give give them the time off as they're in the midst of busy league seasons. The thing, so there, one of the thing I wanted to, one of the things I wanted to talk about is uh, another player who is not in this squad, and that's Josie Altador, as he's playing in the MLS playoffs with Toronto. But, Seb, I don't know if you saw the what happened with Josie in the MLS playoffs. Did you did you either see that game or see what happened after the fact? Uh, no, I did not. So th- this to me, if one two of the one of the players that that uh, Paulie pointed out in his mobile take that he wants to see cemented moving forward is Josh Sargent, and I agree entirely. Uh, Weston McKinney, another uncapped senior player, playing for Schalke very well. Um, boy, I think he's only about 17, maybe 18. Uh, he's in the squad. Also very happy to see him. But one of the things that I think is most key is that this team moves forward without Josie Altador. And I, I know it's not realistic, right? Like, Josie's going to keep getting picked. In some sense, he still has a place on the team, probably. But I... If Josie Altidore never started another U.S. men's national team match, I would be thrilled. Well, I would be absolutely thrilled. Yeah, I think if he was a couple years older, then yeah. Well, so he, but here's the thing: is that he so he just turned 28, right? And what happened in the first leg for any listeners who also haven't seen this is that the the Red Bulls, huge underdogs. I mean, people are talking about Toronto as the best team in MLS history. Um, the Red Bulls were always going to try to get under the skin of Toronto, right? And rile them up and see if they couldn't end up getting a man advantage and trying to steal the show. And so Sacha Kleiston just totally, I mean, he made Josie just descend into the red mist and lose the plot pretty much entirely. Near the end of the first half, they're, you know, Josie is like leaning his face into Kleiston's just shouting at him. And Kleiston kind of gently pushes him away, right? Just like getting him off of him. And Josie dives and tries to act like Kleiston threw him to the ground. And then there was a bust up in the tunnel at halftime, which Josie claims that Sacha Kleiston, his U.S. men's national teammate, we should stress, came up behind him and tried to choke him. I, 
I think that's BS. I think what's much more likely is Kleiston still he he still shouldn't have done this, right? But also Kleiston, it's veteran gamesmanship. He's trying to get the opposition riled up. Is that he, you know, goes towards the Toronto area in the tunnel and is calling Josie out on, hey, I think it's BS that you dove like that. And then there's a you know a, a fight ensues, but it's it's not just that a Kleiston got so deep under Josie's skin. B that you know Josie gets into this tunnel fight. It's that he took to Twitter afterwards in a since deleted tweet, which you know people do all the time. Yes, um, except for me. No, yeah, I've never deleted a tweet, but I also tweet like once a month. So, okay. <laughs> um, but he you know, he tweeted like something talking smack about Kleiston after the game. But this to me is what's so it's indicative of the fact that Josie Altador say what you will about his affection, like how effective or ineffective he is on a pit on the pitch. This is a team that needs its veterans players now more than ever in the wake of this huge failure to be leaders and step forward. And he's acting childish. Like he's, It, and it, it's partially important it, that Kleiston is his men's national teammate, right? And I know it's a club game. It's not a men's national team game. But if you show me the the behavior and the, the performances on the pitch and the behavior on and off the pitch of Christian Pulisic and Josie Altidore over the last six months, I, I would not – I would bet the house that – The man who is 28 years old in the prime of his career and a leader of men is Christian Pulisic. And the 19-year-old kid who still needs to get his head on straight is Josie Altidore. And it is the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk more about this on Monday as uh, the game against Portugal draws closer and closer. With that, we're going to say goodbye. As always, you can find us on Twitter. Even though Elliot doesn't tweet that often, you can find him <laughs> at Keats Was Better. You find me at Seb Norin. Paulie's at P Questel. Give FanRag Sports a follow as well. And we'll talk to you again on Monday. Until then, have a good one. Bye bye. Okay.